Hey everyone, before the episode begins, there are just two things that I forgot to mention in the episode that I just wanted to say. Uh, first is that Barefoot and I were thinking on March 13th, so two Wednesdays from now, we were going to do a live show on Twitch and run a gold campaign. Uh, we haven't quite finalized the details or if we're doing that, so uh, there'll be more details in next week's show, but I uh, just wanted to let everyone know that we were thinking of doing that. The other thing is, last week I was on Gaonan's new series, Coaching to Masters, to help him uh, showcase uh, the fact that he's now offering coaching lessons to anyone who is interest who's interested. So if that sounds interesting to anyone, uh, please give that please give our episode a watch and contact Gaonan if you want a little help in getting better at drafting. Thank you. Now on to our show. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer. This is episode seven, part two. <laughs> we were, yeah, we recorded the real episode last week, uh, just on a regular time, but Skype lied to us and didn't save it. But we're still here, and we're recording a new episode, which will now be our episode seven, and the episode seven that we recorded is lost to the nether. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so please give us a five-star ratings or just like us. Literally, I'd be satisfied if you just liked us. This week, we'll be talking card of the week, our usual seven-win run breakdown analysis, and a high-level discussion of the format informed by a conversation Ruben had with Isomorphic. And as always, we'll end with a draft from user, well, I guess not as always from the user Ben Grasher, but this week we have a draft from one of our listeners, Ben Grasher, that we'll review at the end of the episode. Before we get right into it, uh, Ruben, how's your week been? It's been slow. Been I slow. keep I keep refreshing, um, you know, the re- subreddit to see if there's any news about tournaments or anything, because that's kind of you know what I'm waiting on. I made top hundred in sealed, so I, I played sealed for the first time since uh, the very first one. So I, I I don't usually do that. So yeah, I've been enjoying having a break from grinding my ranking up and everything. It's been nice to just <laughs> kind of enjoy playing and not take it quite so seriously for the last week or two. Yeah, my exciting news, I finally got Masters in both Ranked and Draft, so that was that was great. Woo! Yeah, Congrats. Good job. That's It's hard, isn't it? It feels like a, like truly a challenge every time. Yeah. And that even, even if I have a complete grip on the format, I found that making Masters in Draft is still just <laughs> a long struggle. Yeah. Yeah, mine was a long struggle of getting really close in Diamond and then falling all the way back down to the beginning of Diamond and then getting really close and then falling all the way back down. Oh, and man, that's the worst. Maybe I'll talk about this a little more in the meta-analysis portion, but I've been having a lot of very swingy results in draft, and I'm not sure if it's me or the meta or just variants that's doing it but i've been like going seven win run zero wins seven win zero wins (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I had the opposite experience. The last couple of days, I made masters, but I never broke five wins. <laughs> oh. It was going four three five three four three five, but eventually you climb that way. Yeah, it sounds yeah, like you, you went the uh, the roller coaster route. Yeah, yeah, that's. And yeah. I spent the whole time wishing I could just get like a five three and feel good about it. <laughs> anyway, so let's go into card of the week. Um, All right. This week, my card is Trailmaker, and it's two-time, two-one. It gives you plus one maximum power and an influence of your choice. So I picked this card mostly because I had been really, really high on it. And then I had a conversation with Man and Mouse over chat. I guess this is two weeks ago because you guys don't know this, but this was also my card last week. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so I had a chat with him two weeks ago and he talked about how he has been really trying to force fire um, based decks and mostly fire justice primal or fire justice shadow um, decks and that Trailmaker has gone really far down for him and he feels like it's just kind of a, a bad two drop because it's not an aggressive card, and he's really trying to emphasize aggressive strategies. And I kind of saw his point at the time and started avoiding Trailmaker, even though I had been really high on it. This past week has kind of, I played a lot of drafts and got to Masters, and my feelings are less strong than I was about this card last week, where I'm a little higher on it again. Because <laughs> I managed to to win, I finally managed to win a couple games with a non-fire based deck. Um, but I kind of see his point, and we talked about it a little earlier. But you're still very high on the card and really like it. And and it was like a card that previous to my conversation with him, I would just almost snap pick and take it as a sign to go into time, or at least try and test out time when I saw it in pack two. And now I'm a little bit more wary. And so I just kind of wanted to pass that on to our listeners. Yeah, I I think that it's, I like his take on it. It's not a card that pulls you into time. But if you already have a decent number of good time cards, there's there's not many two drops I would take over it. If, if If you feel like your feet are already solidly in time, I'd say. So it, yeah, it's it's but like you like you're saying, it's it's not so good that you know you see it and you go, oh, time's open, I better jump in, right? So and that's that's where I kind of had been on it, though. I guess I guess I could just talk about it now. What I've been doing recently is when I've been in non-aggressive decks, is just focusing on as much ramp as humanly possible, and Trailmaker sort of happens or helps with that because. I just really been feeling like if you're not being aggressive, you need to figure out how to play your big units as fast as possible. To oh yeah, like Sandglass Parma is a card that keeps getting better for yeah. me every week. <laughs> and I've been... I it's 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 gone from kind of just like extra draft chaff to kind of a critical point. Getting a Parma into your your mid range Sentinel guys is really strong. And the same thing with Trailmaker does a very similar thing for you. Yeah, and I've been even pretty high on Eternity Core with the um, plus two power. Like, I thought that wasn't, like, a great card. But, like, if you have 
you know, big cards, even if you have six drops and you're stuck on power, you get to four, you can drop that. And the next turn, you can start drafting your bigger guys, even if you're stuck on power. So, yeah, you just need the, the you need high impact, powerful cards to make it good. Yeah. And if you don't have that, the Trailmaker is very lackluster. All right. So in the same vein of uh, maybe cards that people misevaluate, Ruben, what's your card? Uh, my card is Seraph's Beacon. Because I see people taking it more than they should be, uh, I I just I've I've tried out Seraph's Beacon in, in certain decks, and the the situations where it comes up and and is is effective at oh if, if in case you you don't know Seraph's Beacon is the three power sigil, I mean uh, relic that whenever you attack with three or more units you play a justice sigil. From your deck depleted and when you play it it summons a 1-1 district infantry so in a lot of situations it's really just a three power 1-1 <laughs> and it doesn't do anything it it's horrible on defense for one like it if you're in a defensive position the card does completely nothing for you because district infantry itself is is a purely offensive unit um so I, I, it's it's really hard to see situations where it's going to be good. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of overlap with too many different strategies. There are some decks where you're definitely going to want it, um, but that's more of like a pack four type of deal. You don't want to be picking Seraph's Beacon highly over other playable cards um, because what, what you need to happen is to have you know three or more units attacking, which need, means you need to... <laughs> First of all, have that perfect curve out of units um, and potentially even have other one drops to make it really good, which is hard to make um, happen. And also the empowered decks typically aren't also going wide. You know, they're struggling to attack with three or more creatures. They're more focusing on, you know, hitting really hard with one or two big empowered guys. So it's... The decks where it does work are few and far between and involve things like, you know, Wagoneers and Bear Arms and a bunch of uh, token producers or something, potentially. It's it's pretty tough, though, I think. So, yeah, Seraph's Beacon is a card that I would just hold off on until later in drafts when you actually know that you have some sort of sleek Empower curve out. Yeah, I'd actually say, like, I feel like it... Yeah, it's not great in the Empower deck, but it is great with a couple of the Empower cards. Like, yeah. I feel the like mo- Seraph- the more I talk about it, the more I realize it's just not very good at all. I'm trying yeah. to keep figuring it out, but no, yeah. I I feel like it's it's great if you also have multiple District Infantry cards in your deck, or if you have a couple Resolute Monks and those kind of cards. That's or or a Hojin. That's yeah. when. I feel like you're really doing it as compared to if you have some of the like bigger empower cards that it's not quite as helpful with. Right. But yeah, no, I agree. That's not a card that I take very highly. Yeah. It's uncommon. So I think that might also pull people into picking it more than they should be as well. They kind of see it and they go, Ooh, that I, I know that that card can do really crazy things sometimes. It's like, yes, very, very rarely though. Right. Don't take it. (laughs) All right, so let's go to our seven-win run breakdown. We are now at 110 drafts in our spreadsheet of seven-win runs that users Ooh. have submitted. Pretty awesome. impressive. 
And in the last two weeks, because once again, um, you guys didn't hear last week's episode. So we've had 47 drafts sent in these last two weeks. Um, and it was probably good that we missed uh, last week's episode didn't air since it actually took me two weeks to enter in all 15 decks that Man and Mouse sent me when he sent me decks the one day. I was like, oh gosh, this is going to take me a day to, <laughs> to finish. He's but, prolific. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he plays a lot. Um, the factions were all very close this week. Justice was the number one faction these last two weeks with 28 decks. Fire was 27, Primal was 26, Shadows 25, and Time was 20. So they were all very, very, or pretty close together. Uh, time kind of lagged behind. So that continues the trend that we've been noticing where Time had been our most uh, drafted color for a while and it's slowly falling to the wayside these last few weeks um, and well um, justice was number one if you include splashes fire was the most um, drafted color this week next um, as far as color pairs go Rakano and Skycrag continue to dominate the color pair rankings for these two weeks and this is something that I really feel when playing against. I feel like you see a lot of fire-based decks and a lot of Rakano or Skycrag-based decks. And I'm always scared when I see them because if you don't have a game plan to beat their early aggression, I think uh, you can be in trouble. Did you feel like you, from your games you played this week, were you seeing a lot of fire or did you feel like it was pretty varied? I was drafting a lot of fire. Yeah, I, I just feel like the fire is really deep. Um, it it kind of has a place in both certain really aggressive decks and some of the slower, more controlling decks. Like um, the Gen F deck can play a much slower game plan with Sentinels and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think that I've been trending towards <laughs> drafting fire, but. As far as what other people have been playing against me, I haven't noticed any specific trends personally. I think mm -hmm. that my experience kind of matches the data, which is that everything is quite good still. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing uh, that's sticking out as bad at this moment. There's just less good right now. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think <laughs> that you're you're right in, in that Rakano and Skycrager are a good place to be, especially for a streamlined game plan, too. Like they're they're easy decks to draft for me personally at this point. I kind of understand them and have done it so many times, but um, I would assume that a lot of other people have also <laughs> figured out that you play weapons on renowned guys and you just win the game. So it's it's not too difficult. So I think you either want to be those colors or have a game plan to beat those colors. As far as things go right now, so. Of the 110 drafts that we've received over the last two months, Aurelian and Ixton are the most popular three-color decks. And we've received 15 Aurelian decks and 22 Ixton decks. And Keridin is the least popular supported tricolor faction, with only four of the 110 decks being Keridin decks. Um, but interestingly, Argentport and Xenon are the most common two-color decks that we've received. So I made me think that maybe Karendin is most often drafted as a two-color deck with the splash. Just uh, throwing that out there for 
if anyone finds that useful. And then the one other thing that I noticed is we've only had three decks that we don't have any seven win deck lists for, or three, um, either two or three faction factions that we don't have any deck lists for. So if someone in the next couple weeks could send in a seven win Huru deck, a seven win JPS deck, and a seven win Firetime Shadow deck, we will have had a deck in every possible combination. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a, quite the challenge. A challenge to our listeners. That's, I almost had a Huru deck, and then I got past a Red Canyon smuggler. So I was like, "Well, I guess I'm splashing fire." No, who? It's that's that would still count if you get seven wins with a Huru deck with a splash. It still counts. Oh, oh, all right, okay. Well, if I then you know the challenge's on. And I'm someone ready. can email me and disagree with this criteria, but how I've been doing that is if it's four cards or less, I consider it a splash. So I'm pretty liberal with the splash. So if you have four, I guess four influence, then I consider it a, a splash. So that would still count as a Huru. So Ruben, you had uh, two decks, um, two self-serving decks that you oh, wanted to talk about this week. No, they're not self-serving. The, uh, the first one I want to talk about is one of yours. Come on. I meant for the uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. This is, I guess, this, I suppose it is. The first one, yeah, I wanted to cover one of yours, you know, since you made Masters. It's two gleaming shields, first of all. It, it you did went with Genev, which is the fire time primal with the splash of shadow and that splash of shadow looking really super strong <laughs> you had a, a stones guard banner a xenon banner film banner a si- Shana- shadow sigil and a xenon stranger so that was a free um oh and be gone also makes shadow influence so and they were just splashing for the annihilate right yes yeah, and this is one of those moments where it's a banner doesn't really cost a deck very much, hardly ever in tempo. You typically in draft have a unit in play. So just being able to, yeah, I'm assuming that you were kind of keeping, you had picked the Annihilate open or the Annihilate early or. Yeah, I mean, early in pack two, and then it just, I had so many, some, yeah, so them. many banners and strangers and things that I was like, I might as well just throw it in there and uh as the listeners will hear i was kind of inspired by uh what isomorphic said to maybe be a little bit more liberal in my splashes so i thought i'd give it a try yeah yeah we'll we'll get into that soon but yeah it's i i can tell that you were channeling him <laughs> with this draft you had a bizarre trickster which is uh about as close to a bomb as you can get for a two drop being able to machine gun silence everything <laughs> as long as he's in play. You had a couple stone shell walkers and a parapet sentry. So you had some good five drop sentinels there. And then, yeah, Gleaming Shield is a card I have yet to even play with in a draft. So how did those do for you? You know, it's it was a card that up until this draft I had never thought had been that great for me. But it did a lot of work in this deck. This was a weird deck because I only had 14 units, and even those 14 units weren't very... Some of, some of them were a little suspect, like a Starve Gorlunk, um, for example, and a Aerial Ace. And then I had a five attachments, a Changey Stick, Sandglass Parma, a Welding Torch, and two Gleaming Shields. 
I had a Torgov's Trading Post, and then I had a pretty solid um, spell suite with Be Gone, Annihilate, Conflagr uh, two Conflagrates, a Dragon Breath, Dispel, and a Sudden Schism. So my whole game plan, more or less, was really hope that a single, at least one unit stuck, and then sort of just beat the opponent down. Yeah, and... this deck looks like it has really... Yeah, if you survive that early game... I mean, Gleaming Shield at at 7 gives an Aegis, Aegis and plus 1, plus 3, and Mirror Images. <laughs> so yes. That's really, like, an incredibly powerful top-end card to have. Yeah, and so... Um, and they mo and that mostly went on stone shell walkers. Yeah, that's awesome. So you know you you get a two big ageist um, overwhelmed units, and you really have a, a lot to work with. And I did. I never. I hadn't thought about it until it happened. But having your stone shell walker die and getting the plus five power, and then playing an amplify unit feels really really good. Yeah, and I haven't. I haven't gotten to pull that one off. So going Stone Shell Walker into having your Stone Shell Walker die and then playing a 12-12 Overwhelmed Starved Warlunk and then playing a Gleaming Shield on that felt really good. Congratulations on your your uh, Draft Masters, too. Yeah, that was very exciting. Okay, and then the other deck you wanted to quickly talk about was your brother's deck. Yes, so I've mentioned him before. He's a player who's he's been playing for quite a long time on and off. Like he hasn't played in many months I know and occasionally pops in and we'll do a draft or something. And he's, he's a great player and he, you know, is completely separated from our uh, meta analysis and tier lists and all of that stuff. So he just comes in with completely fresh eyes and will do things that are just crazy to me. And I've never and haven't seen so this one was really funny and he i love how he he sold it to me so matter-of-factly with as just his ramp a praxis ramp deck and, and this like, is uh just for insane. listeners this is deck 100 in this deck he has four awaken the ages which is the amplify and power card that you know plays depleted powers and i you know i i know that i've seen awaken the ages flying by me in drafts for the last several weeks i've i i do occasionally pick it up if it's if it seems appropriate like i, I really needed to get to my five or six spot or something but <clears throat> typically I, I don't play them very often and he thought awaken the ages looked amazing and picked up three magmatic sentinels <laughs> to go with it and two runic protectors so he's running five eight drops and he got you know another infused guardian and a sandbinder elemental and just went full on with the crete and two are amarin archaeologists also to ramp and he said he had no problem getting to those eight to that eight power and yeah it, looking at it i can i can see what his thought process was it just it still looks crazy to me though if you think about it if if the deck's whole game plan is jumping up and getting to that eight power level and then just slamming gigantic sentinel after gigantic sentinel for a few turns, it's, it's pretty hard to stop. Like it's, it's really tough for a lot of decks to deal with a ma one magmatic sentinel, let alone two. And, and yeah, it was, it's just a, it was really funny to me to see 
him throw this together and get to seven wins apparently fairly easily with it. <laughs> so <laughs> good job. <laughs> that's that's Kevin, my brother. Yeah, I wonder he, he has a Daria Warrior poet. I I wonder if yeah. that was pack one, pick one, and then it, he yeah, it may have been. And then Who he knows? decided we're going to figure out how to play this unit and draft a Praxis deck around it. Potentially, because a lot of this stuff. I mean, Awaken the Ages. I don't know. It looks like he he drafted this with serious intention, which is the thing that makes this deck kind of funny to me because. This isn't something that you just stumble into. Like you have to be, he had to be taking those Awaken the Ages really early in the first pack and getting on that game plan of playing the Magmatic Sentinels and Runic Protectors and stuff. Yeah, like, like he he obviously just like jumped headfirst into this this uh, ramp game plan, and it paid off. It was it's not something we've seen before. So I just thought that was funny to see what like a stray Magic player does when they stumble into eternal to do some drafting cool well thank you for going over these two decks uh this week ruben i'd also like to thank everyone who sent in decks these last two weeks so we had a bunch of new players submit decks this week which is exciting so thank you jungle spider great white alorn 44 your brother krl 013 tad more maybe (laughs) uh ben grasher the Sioux, and Streamer Man and Mouse, and as well as our usual regulars, uh, YouTube content creator Gaonan, Streamer E-Money, and then uh, Rofer, Dwiggy, and me this week. And then I have uh, two special shout-outs. Uh, one to The Sioux, who sent in a couple decks. And he actually wasn't a listener to our sh- of our show, but I made a sequencing error against him in a game and then lost because of it. And then he friend requested me after the game and was like, oh, hey, you should have done it this way. And was just really nice about it. And I thought that was really great that someone would friend request me when I made a obvious mistake and then tell me about it to try to help me improve. So I want to say thank you again, Nasu, for both sending in decks and being a really great person. Nice. And then I want to give an anti-shout out to Dwiggy for... <laughs> being my foil this week and constantly beating me, including one of my runs where I was 6-2. So that, oh, was, man. that was just a feel-bad want-want, Dwiggy. Yeah, I don't blame him. He's on a tear. So to our main topic, this is a conversation you had over Discord with Isomorphic. So we do not actually have Isomorphic in the house, but he... You guys had a little bit of a chat, and he had some really interesting things to say. So we're going to try to do a dramatic reenactment of your conversation on Discord with Isomorphic. So uh, would you like to give a quick uh, introduction to Isomorphic, since he's not here to speak for himself? Uh, Yeah, Isomorphic, for those who don't know, is one of the best players in Eternal. Currently is ranked number one in draft, so obviously we're going to take... Uh, his words on metagame and analysis and and uh, his <laughs> his draft process pretty seriously because he had a lot of success. But he he's he's a player who's been consistently at the top of both ranked and draft for quite a long time. Um, recently, top aided the the last ECQ beating me soundly <laughs> in the top sixteen. 
Uh, so he's he's a really really great player, and yeah, I was super excited to get his uh, take on things because I had noticed him being so consistently at the top of the leaderboards that you know you, you do wonder what what is that person doing? <laughs> yeah, you, you do have to ask yourself sometimes like what is did that person just get crazy lucky for a few games? But I, after having seen and playing against isomorphic many times, I can tell you that it's not, yeah, just luck. He's yeah. a very good player. And over multiple formats, you, you know, like even multiple draft formats, not just like constructed and draft, but like every set he's yeah. number one in draft. And it seems like he's able to like figure out what's going on very quickly and then apply that and do very well. So I, Ruben, am going to talk to Isomorphic. So Isomorphic, uh, what archetypes and factions are you having success with? About a third of my decks are two faction base, often with one to two splash colors, while two thirds are three faction based, again, often with one to two splash colors, and a handful are four faction based often splashing the fifth color. I think basically any combination of two to three base factions is viable. For example, I've, I've drafted nine of the ten tri-faction combos with only Time Justice Primal missing. But I would loosely say that combinations contained in one of the two trios, FJP and TPS, are most common, and then FTP and FJS are a step above the remaining trifaction combos. That's the end of the, his answer to that question. And yeah, I think that this is really, you know, telling about how open this format is and how he's just very much willing to take it in a, 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 any direction that he possibly needs to or can. And yeah, it's it says a lot about just how balanced I think the format is at the moment. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I I mentioned this earlier in the um you know my draft that we talked about a little bit in how I splashed Justin Annihilate and part of this was based on his answer here and how willing he is to splash you know where he says two thirds of his decks are three faction based often splashing one to with one to two splash colors. So he's not scared of doing a five color deck or a four color deck. And I, I kind of have a feel like there are two ways to sort of attack this format. There's kind of the isomorphic way, which he laid out in this. And then there's kind of what we kind of preached and do, and also what um, Gaonan, and you, you can hear his opinions on, um, on his YouTube channel, where he's a much more, and I think we are a much much more conservative drafters where we try to we would prefer to be two a two color deck maybe with a splash or or just three a solid three color deck but we're trying to make as consistent of a mana base and we will lower the power of our deck in order to gain more consistency while it seems like isomorphic I mean I'm sure he he's also probably highly valuing banners and strangers but it seems like he is more willing than we are to splash for power as compared to cut out splashes for consistency's sake yeah yeah it's very it's very interesting i think it it requires a really intense 
uh, focus to draft like this. <laughs> yes. I, I find that sometimes it, it, when you're not exactly feeling your most alert, <laughs> mm-hmm. that occasionally if you f- figure out what you're, what is open in that first pack, I've, I've had plenty of drafts go well where I have just determined, oh, hey, look, Ixton is wide open. So I'm just going to stick with Ixton and just make packs two and three kind of fill in whatever I need at the moment, you know, and and hope that pack four is going to reward me for holding out for it, you know. Right. But but I don't think Isomorphic's sitting and waiting around for, you know, the possibility of good cards to come. He's just consistently taking the most powerful cards probably early and then figuring it out from there. And more often than not is able to throw together, yeah, like multiple splashes which is yeah something i'm terrified to do so reading this reading his response to this definitely gave me some uh gave me an impetus and a new uh approach for (laughs) like reforming my techniques a little bit and starting to think a little more about stretching out into different factions too yeah, and uh, that leads right into uh, your second question and his uh, second answer, which was, um, do you jump into a tri-faction early or try to stay more open for packs two and three? How early do you start taking signals? I never have my colors fully locked until midway through pack two at the earliest, and more often not until early in pack three. That doesn't mean that I don't take two to three faction cards early, though. I just accept that I might have to cut them or splash them. And to be fair, I'm also fine with cutting or splashing single faction cards if they don't work out. There's much less of a penalty for taking a good two to three faction card early in this format than in most because the fixing is so good and most of the decks are touching three to four colors anyway. So yeah, that is, like you said, expanding on what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and I think this is one of the biggest struggles that I have with drafting is like when you see when when you leave pack 1, you know, solidly in two colors and then see two totally different colors open in pack 2, it's like wh- what colors do you jump ship on? You know, because do you hope to get totally rewarded in pack two and three and give up on pack four or do you hope to like you were saying you know just like you realize dixton's open and you just like do you just like hope dixton's gonna be open in pack four yeah and i think that's um you know one of my my problems is maybe holding on too hard to my pack one picks yes and not realizing that as long as you're drafting well you'll Pro, you know, you can still you can get rewarded by totally changing your game plan in yeah. in pack two. And I think it's uh, one way to kind of look at this is he says he doesn't fully lock his his colors until midway through pack two at the earliest, which is the earliest. I think midway through pack two is the earliest that you can know what is open fully open in packs two and three so Mm -hmm. he he's waiting until he knows both what is open from the person who packed past him the first and fourth packs and waiting until he knows what the next set of cards being passed to him are gonna hold for him so he's 
really like holding off on digging his heels into one strategy or one deck uh, at all really early. And I think this is, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this is going to work for everybody because this is, <laughs> he's as close to a professional player as we have in the eternal community. And he's, he's very good. And I think this sounds like a particularly tough thing for new players to do to be taking in that amount of information um, and processing it. And I think sometimes the approach I talked about earlier is is going to work for you better if you're still a little newer to draft. Um, just being able to read, you know, especially that first pack and kind of figure out which of the tri-factions is open and then kind of using the next two draft packs to fill in the gaps and make your deck more solid. I've had success with that, and I think it's it's a fine approach but i you know like would not say you're going to be quite on isomorphics level <laughs> if you're not able to kind of utilize the tools he's talking about which is really staying open and focusing on picking the most powerful cards coming to you for those first you know pack and a half or so yeah because i feel like failing to do failing when in doing this can just lead to a really bad, really, really bad deck. Yeah, yeah. I think he's hedging on always having at least a decent deck because mm-hmm. he's taking the time to to uh, not ever force anything and wait until he has information, you know, sees certain signals and stuff. All right. So, again, me as Ruben, um, to Isomorphic. Do you have any preferences towards aggressive or mid-range strategies in draft, or do you consider yourself a jack of all trades? In general, I don't think it's good to think of yourself as having a specific aggro, mid-range, or control style in draft. You should change you should draft the decks that the format and the cards passed to you want you to draft. I'm perfectly willing to draft aggressive Arcano decks with lots of one drops or slow TPS decks that just want to draw cards with courtiers, since I think both of those things can be good in this format. But as with most draft formats, most draft decks lie somewhere in between and are mid more more mid-rangey. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised that that was his response, based on the fact that he said he drafts every combination of <laughs> factions and splashes everything. Yeah, you'd have to have a solid understanding of the different uh, strategies available. Yeah, I've put courtiers in two decks since I've read this quote, and um, I haven't gone seven wins with them, but they have drawn me at least a couple power. Yeah, so it sounds like he, he he's on to the, the relic deck. Yeah. That we love so much. <laughs> I wonder how I wonder what his max uh, consuming greed count is. <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask him next time. So isomorphic as someone who frequently tops the draft rankings, is this something you work hard towards and focus on, or is your MMR so high you end up there anyways? And his response was, "I just try to do as well as I can in each game of draft." I don't do anything special to end up with a good rank other than not playing playing while I am at rank one. So yeah, that's that's him being, you know, humble. 
because <laughs> yeah. I do think his MMR is probably so crazy high that whenever he does reach Masters, he's probably sitting in the top 20 almost every time, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't hurt. But yeah, yeah, he he put in a lot of work to get there. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's pretty funny that he just, his secret to being rank one is to not play when he hits rank one. So Yeah, which means he hasn't played much this month. Yeah, he's been sitting on rank one like the whole time, I think. So he's he's gonna get rusty. We'll take him down next month, right? Yeah, that's it. That's 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 our goal for next month, listeners. <laughs> Taking down isomorphic. Uh, unseat isomorphic's rank one spot draft. All right. Well, that was that was great. That was um. Thank you for doing that, Ruben. And if this segment works out, we might reach out to um some other notable drafters in the Eternal community. I don't know if we quite have the technical chops to add a guest just yet. So maybe we'll keep doing it in this format for the time being. But who knows? Maybe one day we'll have a guest on this show. All right. Shall we move into draft? Yeah, let's cover a draft. Okay. So we're going to review a draft this week. And this week's draft is by Ben Grasher, who's a prolific show feedbacker for us. And he sent in a bunch of seven-win drafts. And then also this draft, which he said he ended up going 3-3 with, but said he had a lot of trouble drafting the deck because he felt like he kept getting pulled in different directions with the signals. And so I thought we would review this one. He's also streaming a little bit right now, so you can check him out on Ben Grasher on Twitch if you you happen to catch him on there. He has to whisper because he has a little baby, I think. So, but it's... (laughs) But he's, I think, a pretty good drafter, and uh, based on all his show feedback, uh, a pretty analytical mind. So I think it's good. All right, so pack one, pick one. Cards in contention. There's a Hojin Crownbreaker, an Eternity Core, and a Conflagrate. And he took a Hojin. I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I can't disagree with that either. <laughs> that, that card hits so hard and is very easy to trigger Renowned in this format. Yes. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't think it's close. Um, I mean, Conflagrate is a great card and makes every deck as well. All right, so pack uh, pack one, pick two. Cards in contention are Flametail Whip, the three fire fire, plus one, plus one, charge, summon play three, one, one, wildcats with charge weapon, sacrifice them at the end of the turn. There's a Cliff Diver Manasaur, the 5 Primal Primal 4-3, Flying Aegis Pledge. There's a Display of Instinct, which is the 3 Fire Time Primal, deal 4 damage, put a unit into your hand, negate an enemy spell, and a Bannerman. And he took the Cliff Diver Mantisaur. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Yeah. I think uh, Mantisaur is just very good. It, I mean, it's close with display in terms of power level, but the fact that they're close in power level and one is only uh, one color, uh, one faction, yeah, is <laughs> a, a good place to start a draft. So yeah, I, I like just picking the flyer up. I agree. <clears throat> okay, so pick three. Cards in contention. There's... Uh, Ancient Excavator, which is the five time time four six summon draw relic from your void. There's a Clan Hunts Caller, the four fire shadow four three war cry summon your other units get war cry this turn. There's a Coastal Huntsman, Alethra Intimidator, 
And I guess if you were your brother, there's an Awaken the Ages. Yeah. So he took the ancient excavator here. And this is maybe the first pick where I would disagree a little bit, I guess. I guess I don't know if I would have taken the excavator. Maybe I would have just taken a left right intimidator. But Yeah, this is that's an interesting an interesting one. Because I, I I do think Elysian the man is a little bit better of starting place than Feln. Um as far as the, your available tri-factions that are supported. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it, for me, I like, I, I'm a big fan of Huntsman personally. And, yeah. And I don't, I feel, I don't feel bad picking a solid two drop. That's only one faction requirement at this stage in the draft. Yeah. And, and now that you mention it, I think maybe you're right. I, maybe I would take a Huntsman. Yeah, that's that's also a personal preference, though. I, I I tend to have a lot of success with Huntsman, though. I think it's a great card, and it works in uh, all of the primal decks. Really, you don't need a lot of renowned triggers for it to be a playable unit, because a one three for two puts the brakes on a lot of decks as it is. Yes, um, and but, yeah, it's also in the previous. Not that you're taking signals this early, but in the previous pack, the rare was still there. So someone took a card, an uh, uncommon over Cliff Diver Mantisaur. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. So we know a, we know that little... person doesn't like Primal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah I can't, I'm trying to think of a common that I would take over Man. Maybe Conflagrate. Maybe maybe Mantisaur beats Conflagrate. Yeah, a, for me, one on one fight. It does. That is a good point. So yeah, I, I still can't can't see taking any common over Mantisaur. <laughs> I mean, even Bannerman is there, which is my go-to for an early non-committal <laughs> uh, common pick. But yeah, yeah, so so here, I'm I'm personally I'm a big fan of Huntsman, but Excavator is a four-six for five is solid. Uh, also, you didn't mention the Fur Hat is I think a card kind of in contention. In the right type of list, especially if you have some empower units, if you're in one of those justice based decks that's really relying on empower synergies, it can do some cool things, as well as just trigger renown in the renown decks. So I, I think Fur Hat deserves some notice, though it's definitely not the pick here. So would you pick a Fur Hat over a Seraph's Beacon? I guess that's the question. <laughs> Fur Hat? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh really? That's there's more decks. There's more decks I can imagine Fur Hat being good in than Seraph's Beacon, because yeah. Fur Hat, like like we'll see in the next pack, we get past a Glacial Shaper. Yes, it's great with Fur Hat. Yep. So the next pack, this is pick four. Um, cards of contention are Glacial Shaper, Token of Knowledge, and Arachidon Egg. So power level dropping dropping significantly, except there's a solid uh, Primal card so i think yeah. this is an easy glacial shaper yeah no no not even close i i like erected on egg kind of it's not one of my favorite cards because it's such a horrible top deck in many situations it's not even the same league as glacial shaper though get some mighty strikes in your deck too making a six drop all right so then uh pick five cards of contention there's really only a hard sight cyclops and a be gone. And there's a pack beast. There's a couple bad fire, other bad fire cards. And the only primal card 
is a reclusive scholar. So um, Ben took the Begone there, which I think is probably the best card in the pack. Is that what you would say? Um, I, I would put the Cyclops maybe slightly ahead on, on sheer power level, but Begone is a more um, flexible card. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it only has the one time requirement. So yeah, I think that the it's the yeah, I, I like picking it there. Mm-hmm. And you know, they already have the ancient excavator at this point, so they do have yeah. a reason to pick up a time card. So if you were looking at this pack with the ancient excavator being a coastal huntsman, so you had no time pulling you you've picked no time card so far. Yeah. Would that change anything? Maybe. It, it might lean me uh, just slightly enough to pick the Cyclops over the Begone. Mm-hmm. Just because I hadn't taken anything but the Hojin and three Primal cards at this point. Right. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm not super excited about anything any the options pack. here. Yeah. yeah. All right, so pick six is sort of similar. Um Cards in contention are a Court Mage, a Sirocco Glider, and a Begone. Yeah, and they went with the Court Mage. Yes, they took one. a Court Mage. Yeah, and I, I really like that. I think Court Mage is a fantastic card. Yeah. Oh, it looks like we're missing a pick in here. They picked up a Display of Instinct Oh, oops. in the previous pack. Oh, yeah, I did miss one. So I guess they I, picked... I'm sure there wasn't any competition then. Yeah, <laughs> but so it's worth it's worth noting they picked up a really great uh, Genev card. <laughs> yeah, and this... then, so that's Fire Time uh, Primal, right? So I think that actually picking that up so late really influences the rest of their draft. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So they take the Court Mage here. Yeah, well, like you said, over Begone and Sirocco Glider. I think. Without without any relic synergies, Court Mage is way better than Sirocco Glider. <laughs> or just Pledge. Pledge can sometimes turn a, a redraw, on, a, like a hand that's just an easy redraw into a keep, which is, yeah, very good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I've been excited about Pledge cards ever since this set dropped. I've always really liked them, and I found <laughs> that they, they give you a lot more. That's, That's really interesting because in a vacuum, I would like if this was, say, the pack was horrible and this was pack one, pick one, I would pick a Sirocco glider. Yeah, the upside is higher. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. Um, but yeah, without any indication of any relics coming or having picked up anything like a Pitfall's Trap or a Frost Talisman, I'd yeah. like to yeah. err, no, err on and the I... side of consistency with the Court Mage. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think it was good because, like we said, I probably wouldn't have the Ancient Excavator, so I would have more Primal, so I would feel more confident that Primal was the open color in pack one. And I, like, even though he does have a couple time cards, him not getting lured into taking this time card and sticking with the Primal and staying more open. Okay, so he rounds out the pack... Uh, taking another court mage, a gate guardian, a reinforced tower shield. Must have been a really late gate guardian. Yeah, the really card's late. not horrible. I mean, it's it's in a lot of situations a five five flyer for six. Okay, so now entering pack two, pick one or uh, pick thirteen. 
cards in contention are a long barrel, which is the one fire fire plus two plus zero weapon, and it gives overwhelm with spellcraft three play piercing shot. There's a trail maker, there's a Xenon Stranger, there's a strategize, and there's a moon dial. Nice. And um, he took the trail maker. Yeah, so this is relevant to your card of the week. Yes. <laughs> I, I I do like taking the trail maker here, although I'm a big I'm a big fan of Moondial. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really like Moondial a lot. I've I've had plenty of success with that card in a variety of decks. Um, oh, well that's good to hear cuz this is totally irrelevant to our analysis of this draft. But he got past a lot of moon dials, and I thought that that was one of the cards that I kept mentioning. And I was like, "Oh, Ruben's going to be like, I can't believe you keep mentioning moon dial." But, oh no, no, I love that card. Oh, good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not against uh, throwing a moon dial in your deck if you can support it. Okay. Um, yeah, because paying five to draw a card will put you ahead in many, many, many draft games. Mm-hmm. And if you have some of the extra relic synergies on top of it, it's good. He had none of those things. He had a you know more renowned looking base deck with with a Hojin and a Gate Guardian and all of those things and a Glacial so, Shaper, yeah. So yeah, um, but he ended up going with the Trailmaker, and I I think that that's that's fine. I think Long Barrel is good too, and deserves some recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little harder to make work and. At this point, it uh, looks like Display of Instinct was the only fire uh, card. Fire card. Yeah. Although, if we're taking Isomorphic's strategy of picking the strongest card, it becomes maybe a little. Because I think in a vacuum, Long Barrel's uh, more powerful than Trailmaker and has the ability to change the race or whatever, especially early in the game. But, yeah, and there's an interesting world where this the Beacon is a Cyclops and the Ancient Excavator is a Coastal Huntsman. And then you're snap picking the long barrel, I think, right? Yeah. yeah All right. Put long barrel on a hojin. That sounds great. Yeah. So pack two, pick uh, two. This is card fourteen. Cards in contention. There's another moon dial. There's a Lethry secret weaver. There's a sand glass parma, and an illumination wisp. And he took the illumination wisp. And for his deck, I think that makes sense. I probably. Yeah. I value Sandglass Parma really high now, so I would probably pick the first Sandglass Parma before I pick the Illumination Wisp. But I can't fault anyone for taking an Illumination Wisp. Yeah, I think it, it depends on what your deck looks like it's doing. I think Illumination Wisp is a really solid two-drop in just about all the decks. Mm-hmm. But it, it really does shine if you get uh, multiple you know, um, granite acolytes and stuff to throw weapons on it. And that, that really cranks up your, your clock really fast. Whereas Sandglass Parma is the type of card that's never going to crank up your clock. So (laughs) you're not, you're not going to win the the game necessarily, but but unless you put it on Hojin, but Parma plays really good defense. Yeah. It's, it's good on Hojin. It's worth noting that with Glacial Shaper spellcraft does not increase the, you know, converted power cost of a card, so you still only get a 2-2 if you put it on Glacial Shaper. 
as you mentioned earlier, you found yeah, <laughs> yeah, found that out the hard way <laughs> by putting a changey stick on your glacial shaper. Yeah, it's I, I like that. I I think it is close between Parma and Wisp, and it kind of you have to take in to account what you have in your deck at this point, and they still. I would still probably lean with the Wisp just because they only have the one. Well, they have Hojin with no other um, Justice cards. So if they're abandoning Justice or even thinking about it, they're left with only one two drop and only one three drop. We're just not doing, you don't have a ton of units yet. And I think Wisp is a good place to start. Pack two, pick three, card 15. Cards in contention are a Tranquil Scholar, which is the 2 Justice 2-2 summon, uh, give Tranquil Scholar a random battle skill, and a unit in your hand the same battle skill. And there's a Bold Adventurer. (laughs) That's one of your cards in contention. A a vanilla 2-3 for 2 is a card. Yeah, well, I only mention that because that's the card he picked. It's okay. I actually want to mention there's a Topaz Drake sitting in this one. And I have found Topaz Drake to be a highly rewarding <laughs> uh, high-end card for a lot of the more defensive um, Genev decks, especially, which is what this is kind of setting up to look like to a certain degree. So I don't don't discount Topaz Drake as a very playable card. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, yeah, I, w- I, I think I would... that base. I, I actually just won my last draft topaz drakes so <laughs> i might be giving a little more anecdotal evidence but yeah you do see topaz drakes a little later though yeah th- that's that's true it's not like a card that you're really itching to get in your deck but neither is bold adventure so mm-hmm. i think your chances of finding a better two drop than bold adventure are quite high so i either like going with the tranquil scholar to get another solid justice two drop um even though Justice and time don't combine for anything other than Carindon with Shadow in in the tri-factions. But, you know, if we're taking the, the isomorphic approach to... Because uh, we're, we're still not quite, you know, what he would say halfway through pack two, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we still don't quite know what is completely open in, in this pack. So, yeah, I, I think... Those are the two I would be leaning towards personally. Topaz, Drake, and Tranquil Scholar. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I would take the Tranquil Scholar because, again, you're way less likely to see one of those. And if you do end up in Justice, um, that's a pretty solid It's a pretty yeah. solid two job. And remember, guys, if you use Tranquil Scholar, uh, don't wait to see what the ability is before you click on your other unit in your hand. Because... <laughs> Sometimes if it's like you just have one other unit in your hand, you're like, oh, I'll give random skill to my guy. And then that random skill ended up being reckless. You'll you'll regret it. So just just hold off for a second and see what it is before you click because you can skip the trigger. All right. You may. Nice. Good advice. So then uh, pack two, pick four, um, card 16. In the pack, there's a storm links, which is the two time primal two, three ambush. There's an aerial ace and a peacekeeper's helm. He oh, and I guess there's another topaz drake. If you missed that first one, um, but Ben here took the the peacekeeper's helm. Yeah, so that's the first. They do have a gate guardian, 
and a Hojin are their two justice cards at this point. And yeah. Peacekeeper's Helm is way above and beyond power level of anything else in this pack. It's yeah. a really, really powerful card. And they did see the um, Tranquil Squalor the last pack, even though they didn't pick it. Pick it. So. Right. So, yeah, uh, I mean, at this point in your draft, it would be hard not to take a Storm Lynx, considering just how many Elysian cards they're sitting on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that card, for some reason, just you you, <laughs> you can't play around it. Like you can't just sit there and not attack with your two two. So it's in a lot of games, it gets value and eats something. It's maybe a tiny bit better than it looks, even just based on how a lot of these games tend to go and the flow of the game times you're playing a, a stranger on turn two or something and then swinging with it regardless of what they have as long as it's not something that effectively blocks your stranger you're going to attack with it so yeah storm links is is sneaky super sneaky kitty but i do like the helm pick i i think the helm pick is pretty good and this is uh keeping with the isomorphic plan yeah just went with the strongest card again and and took helm all right, so uh, pick 17, there's Cards of Contention, is a Cryptic Etchings in Time. The only Justice card is a Miner's Canary. As far as Fire goes, there's a Smith's Hammer, a Hoof Slash, a Rally, and then there's a Rakano Stranger. Yeah. Looks and like they, they took the Stranger. They just went with the Stranger. Yeah, I like that. I don't yeah. think that's even close. Yep. I agree. Because a lot of the other effects are pretty replaceable. Like Hoof Slash is not going to make a lot of decks. <laughs> yeah. Although here, it, it's working with the one Glacial Shaper and the Gate Guardian, I suppose. But yeah. you got better ways to trigger Renown than that. Okay. And then, so, pick 18. Uh, cards in Contention. There's a Final Shot, which is the 7 Fire, 5 1, Quick Draw, Spellcraft 1, Play Gun Down. There's a Scaly Gruon, um, Jump Kick, and Violent Gust in Primal. And then in Justice, there's a Civic Peacekeeper. And Ben took the final shot, which is, besides for the Display of Instinct, his first fire card that he picks up, which was kind of surprising to me, I guess. Yeah, it is. And and I think final... the I mean, I guess the only card that's even close here is Civic Peacekeeper. And... He hasn't really settled into necessarily justice yet, but I, I don't. I, I have not been super impressed with final shot in a lot of situations. It feels like you you either never get there, or when you do get there, like it just requires a lot of patience. And and it, it's not particularly good in aggressive decks because in order to you know use the the spellcraft gun down, you have to be at eight power. So. You're you're not doing well if you're making it into eight power with an aggressive strategy, and a lot of the slower decks might want a one of final shot. So I mean I've I've played it plenty of times, especially in some of the more slower like ramping decks and stuff. But even then, I I like my seven or eight drops to be like a big unit or something that I can top deck and slam on the table, especially if we're in a situation where we both don't have much on board. Yeah. 
Yeah, I found that I've had a lot of trouble figuring out a deck that wants Final Shot. So I keep playing it, and then I feel like I keep dying with it sitting in my hand. Yeah, me too, for some reason. So are you? would you lean towards the Civic Peacekeeper? It's It's close. I would probably still take the Final Shot. Yeah, just because you have Glacial Shaper and Gate Guardian and stuff. Um, yeah yeah i I, I guess i think it's it's good enough and with illumination wisps and it's okay not an incredible card but at this stage of this specific draft i could see it being more likely to make the list than the peacekeeper but yeah this is hard i can see why they were having trouble with this draft particularly because it it does feel like they got sent in many different directions yeah, because and, and it, it it's not that there wasn't it was hard to figure out necessarily what was open. It was just hard to figure out what their deck was doing. You know, yeah. like they they had they picked you know some a couple of renowned guys, but not really much good renowned triggering cards. They got some good aggressive cards, but not a lot of other good support for aggressive cards or good. Yeah, early. and they're not really in an aggressive color. But I actually think I would have taken the Violent Gust here and nice. as, as my safe pick. Because, I mean, they don't have any removal, really, currently. Except for the Display of Instinct, which you're not even sure you're playing yet. And, I don't know. You've seen a couple Justice cards this pack, but really, you're basing everything on your Hojin pack one, pick one. Right. Um, and since I haven't picked any Fire card, I'd be... I would be scared to pick a fire card this late, but but he right. did, and interestingly, he ends up playing fire in his final deck, oh, <laughs> so it point. worked out for him. So then, uh, to round this out really quick, in the rest of the pack, the only other fire card he got was a barbarian camp. So right now, his fire cards are display of instinct, barbarian camp, and final shot, and. This is pack three, pick one. There's a Daring Pioneer, another Moondial, a Combray Banner, a Granite Acolyte, Bold Adventurer. So, and he took the Granite Acolyte. And that, oh, that was once again, this was another one, interesting pick for me, especially because I would not have had the um, final shot <laughs> in my deck. So I would right. never pick the Granite Acolyte. Um, but I was just wondering what you were thinking. Yeah. Um, I like Storm Glider. Actually, I think it's it's a flying wind condition mm-hmm. and is perfectly serviceable. As, and his deck is kind of, at this point, lacking a way to win the game, I'm kind of noticing. So you, uh, it's, you're, you have some good support cards and some good role players and stuff, and, you know, dis- and, and still has that display of instinct as his sole removal spell. So I kind of like going with the Skycrag Flyer here. Um, but oh, that's really interesting. Over the Granite Acolyte. Yeah, yeah, yep. Just because of the state of the deck, like if I would take the Acolyte over that uh, any day, if I had a deck that had a really slick, powerful suite of two drops and a lot of renown effects and Oni Forge Masters and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, right now, it's looking like his his game plan is looking a little, yeah. Um, like, I mean, he do, like, does have the Hojin and the Illumination Wisp to put the Acolyte on, which are both pretty solid. Um, that's true. You could make an argument for that, too. But yeah, I like I like the Flyer. I don't think it's horrible. 
What do you think about Daring Pioneer, which is the three primal primal four four overwhelm when an enemy plays a spell sacrifice Daring Pioneer to negate it? It's it's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of an unfortunate that it's too primal as well, which makes it a little more difficult to cast on curve. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it hits the board and sometimes it'll die to just like a spellcrafted weapon or something is not very good. Although sometimes, you know, count being able to have a 4-4 Overwhelm that counters their next removal spell is not bad. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say the double the double Primal is keeping me from picking it here. Because I, I do like it, and I've played it in draft decks before, where I felt like my influence requirements were settled pretty well. <clears throat> but right now... It's it's looking solidly like four potential factions, right? Kind of split it's it's split even more evenly <laughs> at this point. So yeah. All right, and then uh, the final pick that we'll review is pack three, pick two, and cards in contention. There's a Shogun Scepter, which is the three fire fire uh, plus two plus one War Cry. Play a two one Oni Ronin with War Cry on summon. There is a Moon Dial. Uh, Rakano Stranger, a bold adventurer, and then it doesn't really fit in this deck, but there's also a Calderon Gunsmith, which is the five fire, three, two, summon each of your units, deal one damage to the enemy player. And he took the Shogun Scepter here as I think probably the most powerful card. I like that pick. Yeah. And then, this is, yeah, he's hoping that pack four would round out with some. Yeah, he still, he still has time to pick up some stuff that that weapon's going to look really good on. Mm-hmm. Already has a couple. Hojin and Illumination Wisp are both pretty stellar with it, and Glacial Shaper, so it, yeah, I, I like Shogun Scepter. Yeah. I think the, it's it's a really, really strong card, obviously. Yeah, though you named three cards that make it really hard to cast a Fire Fire card on turn three. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. It's not going to be easy, but but Shogun Scepter doesn't have to be curved out into perfectly to be yeah. powerful and effective. So it's still probably the pick here. Yeah. the The next closest thing would be like the Rakano Stranger, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or consistency sta- sake here. Yeah, you were so high on Moon Dial a while ago, and then you've just like passed all of these Moon Dials. It's got to be the right deck. This deck also was having a little bit of a, um, a identity crisis, and that's not the type of deck you want to just stuff a moon dial into. <laughs> you want to figure out what your deck is doing before you start picking up that card. Because I, I, yeah, moon dial is great if I'm playing a super slow, grindy defensive deck that already has multiple removal spells and conflagrates and stuff. I'm perfectly happy taking a moon dial and just grinding them out. I thought this draft was pretty interesting because his final draft ends up being pretty solidly uh, four-color in Fire Time Justice Primal. He ended up picking a bunch more fire cards, um, one of them being a research assistant. Uh, then there's the Granite Acolyte. There's a Magmatic Sentinel, a Ruination Sledge, a Shogun Scepter, and a Final Shot, and a Conflag, and Display of Instinct. He also has... I guess the time is kind of the splash, where he's splashing a bold adventurer, illumination wisp, and a trailmaker. Then justice, there's a Hojin's crownbreaker, Rakano sheriff, and a Valkyrie arcanist. 
the Peacekeeper's Helm, Defiance, Barrel Through, the Primal cards that we kind of talked about. It looks it looks okay. I mean, it looks like there's there's a definite chance to just roll some horrible hands with this deck, <laughs> basically with the influence requirements because so many of the powerful cards like Rakano Sheriff that he picked up is a double justice, and Shogun Scepter is a double fire, and you know even Magmatic Sentinels double fire. Uh, it, he's got some ways of easing that that issue. So I don't think it's it's crazy the direction he took it, but I, I don't think the power level of the cards is so high that going four factions was like the only way to make Nav- it good. Yeah, navigate. Yeah, that's what it's kind of interesting is because he definitely, like he said, kind of went all over the place with the deck, and then kind of ended up with a deck that is all over the place with not a ton of powerful cards. Even though he does have, I mean, he does have a few. He has the Hojin, the Rokano Sheriff, the Cliff Diver Mantisaur, all great cards, the Shogun Scepter. But it's not like, it's not, it doesn't feel like a dominating deck for having uh, one and two drops in all four colors. So that's, that's the thing that scares me is like, you know, not having your early drops be sort of settled in two colors and then splashing with your laters. Like, you could very well end up with a hand where you just like can't play your two drop. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess that's what I've been kind of struggling with looking at this this draft particularly and why it's it's not the same as like what Isomorphic was talking about where he settles into his two or three factions and then manages to throw those extra splashes on the side. Like yeah, like you're saying, this deck is is a pure rainbow deck. It's very much <laughs> almost evenly split. The, the pie chart up there is looking quite rough. Yeah, it's really interesting because, again, this is like one of the things that I've been really struggling with is like, how do you find that balance where, you know, like throughout this draft, I would have taken like slightly less powerful cards that were on color and then probably would have ended up in Fire Justice Primal. But it's like, but some of my picks were weaker picks. So it's like, I'm really struggling with figuring out that balance of like for this format of consistency over splashing and then how to splash where you don't end up with the mess of a deck. Yeah. Anyway, so the, we'll post the screenshot here uh, in the show notes. If anyone wants to look at his final deck and um, yeah. So thank you, Ben, for submitting the deck and letting us review it. Uh, we really appreciate it. And so let's uh, end the show here. So that's that's our show. Once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, there was no new reviews this week, but that's okay because... Andy's from two weeks ago was still pretty good and it's sustaining me but hopefully someone else will review our show show soon so I'll have something else to feel good about and then finally thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's posts about this podcast on Reddit I don't actually care about any of his other posts but definitely anything (laughs) that says Farming Eternal please give it a thumbs up and then you can send all your seven win deck lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com And if you have any drafts you'd like to review, uh, you could also send them our way. Um, And remember, keep on farming. Thank you. So, how do you feel about merchants? (laughs) How do I feel about merchants? (laughs) 
No, we're not doing this, are we? No, we don't have to. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's kind of funny that everybody's weighing in. It's the, the benefit of being the, the draft podcast. We can just ignore all that noise. Yeah. Because the draft format's beautiful. I think it's it's one of the most well-balanced formats that I've seen in, a, in almost any draft format. Oh, I know some people don't particularly enjoy it, but I've I found it highly satisfying just because of that. Whereas in ranked, yeah, it's it's getting it's getting wild. I I personally am a huge fan of merchants because I win lots of games with them. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about the subject. I think that if if you're having a problem with eight merchant meta, like I understand that impulse but it the merchants were created particularly to give us more flexibility as players and to give us a way to work around you know having 75 card decks and and the inherent inconsistency that came with that and it i think a lot of people feel like it tipped the pendulum way to the other side um i don't necessarily feel that that's true i i do think that in any format, there's always going to be a best deck or a best few decks, and you just kind of have to adapt and and work with what you got. So, I don't know what are you what are you what are you wanting to say about merchants? I don't I don't know what you're even trying to get out of me. I I wasn't trying to get. I was just coming up. I knew it was the it's been the talk of the week. So I thought I'd I, ask your opinion in our little bonus segment that we have. I know. Uh, I know you want a definitive yay or nay. No, no, I didn't. No, I, uh, I just thought it'd be an interesting. I mean, I'm very, I, I currently love the, the ranked format. I've been having a lot of fun. I feel like you see a lot of different decks. I feel like no deck is too overpowered. I so think I that I think a lot of people might be upset because aggro has taken a hit just from the way that merchants play out. Yeah. Definitely is is more uh, conducive to slower mid range and controlling style decks, and aggro hasn't gotten a lot of new toys in quite a while for killing people fast. But I also think that uh, Direwolf Digital is not a huge fan of formats that are purely just rock paper scissors control aggro, you know, combo or mid range or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. I think they they like that we have just this wild mixture of mid-range strategies running around everywhere. And a couple of control decks keeping them in check. As you saw recently, the the Temporal deck made a resurgence in the ETS. And that was probably largely because it it was kind of primed to beat a lot of those slower, grindier decks. It just goes like the, the, the Peaks decks that have been steadily popular just absolutely get crushed by it from what i could tell um i don't think i I, it's not insanely horrible of a matchup if the peaks decks can get some tempo off on them but yeah if they're able to cast one of those brilliant ideas for plus (laughs) six plus eight cards or whatever the game's just over it's It's so crazy that card is so crazy yeah it is it's really strong and yeah the deck seems quite consistent once again so and and if they're running the variant that has the hailstorms and stuff, that deck's also uh, pretty tough against aggro as well. So I, I, I am anticipating seeing a, a little more of that 
in the weeks to come. Although, yeah, yeah to play temporal, you have to have some patience. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if any everybody's up to it. Yeah, I what I guess what I don't understand about all the complaints about merchants a little bit is. I totally understand it if you're like an aggro player and you want to just like you want the meta to be a way higher percentage of aggro. But I feel like the people who complain about merchants don't necessarily that's not necessarily what they want. But it seems like that's what they would get out of yeah. out of that. I mean, part of it is maybe I just can't understand because I can't think of anything more fun than like cycling though in and out of your market. But yeah, so it's just like interesting to me because it it just seems like markets make the game more fun and they make the game a little bit more consistent. But I think they, I don't know, they just like do a lot for the game. They allow the janky combo decks that I like to play to exist, which is nice. And then also like when I didn't have quite the collection, they were great because there were like decks I wanted to try and it, it would like require four legendaries and it'd be like oh i don't have these legendaries but then merchants came out and i was like oh i can just play one of these in my market and yeah. then play four merchants and i can pretend i have this deck i don't think anybody's uh, calling for doing away with merchants from what i can tell or anything like that i don't know if that's true but, but... Uh, well yeah i don't I, there's always a complaint flavor of the week it feels like but <laughs> that, that's fine that's how we will progress by um you know letting the developers know what is a problem though i i have to say that they've they do a really good job of keeping their eyes out for things that look too powerful and as of this moment right now there is no deck that is sticking out to me as too powerful so i think that we're we're settling into a pretty cool meta in my mm-hmm. opinion. All right. So then isomorphic is someone who frequently tops the draft rankings. Oh, no. Is... Yeah, sorry. You... This is me talking. No, I was saying so isomorphic. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. 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 I got you. I was doing a little ad lib in our. In I, our... I hear. Yeah. I get... That's what threw me off. Okay. <laughs> How could you? In our dramatic reenactment. Okay. Right, 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 right. I got you. 